This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Wow, that guy means business. Just an amazing player. No, not him, the sports photographer behind him. Uh, what? He has a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where he earns 5% annual percentage yield, so he's scoring big on and off the field. You might even say he's the MVB. MVB? Be? The most valuable business. Making your money work harder. That's how you business differently. Intuit QuickBooks. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes are in APY. APY can change at any time. Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. And I'm Scott Galloway. Happy New Year, Kara. Thank you. Where You sound so mellow. Where are you? Did you have a good New Year? Where, where, where are you located at this point? I'm in San Francisco. I'm in Montana, the great state of Montana, where I, I am here for the first time ever. And what are you doing? What are you, what are you doing there? Uh, I'm skiing, or I'm mostly not skiing. We try and put the boys on skis each year, and it's, uh, you know, it's wonderful. It's, uh, I'm not a big cold weather person, but it's mm-hmm. very majestic, and it was a nice, a nice new year, and it's a great state, and, you know, a place I hadn't been. So, yeah, wonderful new year. How about you? So- well, I'm in San Francisco, moving children around the city, doing things. I've, I'm exhausted, actually. Um, but it's beautiful here. San Francisco actually looks great, and it's cleaner than it's been, and it's beautiful, and the weather's gorgeous. But wait, are you, like, do you know all the internet moguls go to Montana? Are you aware of that? Like, you yeah. are in the, the ground zero of internet moguls, essentially. Yeah, so I'm knee-deep in them. Somehow I got into the Yellowstone Club, so I'm where the 99.9 percentile take refuge from the 99.98 it is well, it is unusual how, here. How did you get into the Yellowstone Club? Because <laughs> uh, they feel you. they feel sorry for me. I'm like kind of the charity act here. They, it's same as Cannes and like Saint Tropez. Every once in a while, they're like invite a professor. So oh, I'm, wow. I'm kind of I'm kind of an interloper here. Well, you know, actually, all the internet people I've been hearing from, they're all in New Zealand right now. They, I'm getting waiting for de- end of days. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, what is it, the Armageddon vacation? But I keep getting pictures of people sort of at the Hobbit hole. You know, they go to all this stuff. Yeah. But a lot of internet people are in New Zealand, which is because I guess it's warm, or and it's not Hawaii. They move on to other things. And the Yellowstone Club had some financial problems, I think I recall. Um, but now it's back and bigger than ever, uh, allegedly, apparently, and stuff like that. But it's where all the fancies are. Very nice, Scott. It's so nice that you have live a life that way when I sit here uh, and work my way through the holidays. Anyway, um, speaking of making money off the holidays, uh, which which companies do you think profited most from the, the holiday season? Was it Amazon, Apple? Who do you think? Yeah, I think right out of the gates, just because of its industry and people look so closely at it, Amazon reported, again, record numbers. Uh, I would say that through the holiday season, in terms of momentum, though, Apple finishing the year as the best performing of the FANG stocks. I mean, it really was Apple's year. Apple yeah. was, I think, the second best performing stock behind, um, you know, some weird stuff like, I don't know if it was Netflix or maybe that was for the decade. So it was the quarter for, 
It was the quarter for Apple, but it was the holiday again, just because of its core business for Amazon, which shows no, or continues to show no signs of letting up. We saw e-commerce growth jump something like 19%, which is just insane when you think about the fact this is no longer a small small business. business. So this is, yeah, e-commerce continues to, it's like what, it's finally realizing its potential. You know, we were so excited about it in the early 2000s, and now it seems to finally be growing into its own shoes. And then brick and mortar is, uh, is again, suffering. What's interesting, I read an idea on the Robinhood app for year in predictions or year in what they wanted for 2020. Someone suggested that a large franchise, uh, a Chipotle, I actually think Chick-fil-A would be an interesting um, brand for this, would go all delivery, would just shut all their locations down and go all delivery. Hmm. And that's an interesting idea, maybe for a market where they don't have any locations, but QSR is about to feel the impact of disruption around technology. Anyways, Apple and Amazon, what would you say were the big winners? Uh, Probably, you know, I'm fascinated why Apple is. I mean, I bought my kid a pair of AirPods, which he's promptly misplaced now for, you know, just a few days after the holidays. Um, But I'm not sure. I mean, we have Apple Music. I'm trying to think, you know, we bought, we went and got our new iPhone 11s because we're in that exchange program. So, I mean, we have a real tight relationship, me and my kids with Apple and, you know, as a brand. And we were in the store several times and we didn't buy that much stuff there, but we bought enough. Um, but we're part of like their, their ecosystem, essentially. Amazon, I didn't actually, I went, I made a point to go to regular retailers this year to buy things. I did not buy a lot off of Amazon. I use Amazon all year round for like convenience, I think, versus gifts. And so I didn't do a whole lot and there were not quite as many boxes as, as, in fact, there were none. I didn't do any shopping off of Amazon because um, I made it a point to go around to the local businesses. But I can tell you on the streetscape here, like businesses just cl- one several stores in my neighborhood just closed down that have been yeah. here since I moved here. Which are which you know they're all one was a one was a just a regular. They made sold T-shirts and nice clothes and stuff like that. And and they don't let brands in this particular neighborhood in San Francisco. So it was real. It's really like. It, there were several different businesses that were here that are not, including restaurants. Um, and so it's kind of a, it's kind of a shock to see that happening sort of in real time on streets of cities. Yeah, and it's it's funny what you're saying about Apple. One of the things I noticed Christmas morning after I, was first, I need to start drinking earlier. But two, <laughs> our kids. Um, both, you know, it's the orgy of consumerism and you know, uh, ripping shit open. And then the thing they both ended up on, a nine and 12 year old boy, were an iPad and the new iPhone respectively. Apple really has become, the, any, any kind of upper middle class affluent family, I think the morning is sort of won by Apple. Uh, mm, in interesting, terms of, it's not true. When your kids aren't old enough, it's won by sneakers and StockX. Have you heard of StockX? Owned, um, by, owned by Dan Gilbert, who we hope gets better. Y- um, yep. Yeah, I got to say, my kid company. is obsessed with that and sneakers. He's a sneakerhead. And so to me, that was interesting, the use of those things. And he's quite, you know, he knows all about sneakers and, and it's mostly through online relationships with people who love sneakers and things like that. So I think it was more sneakers. That was, and I believe the me. most, the most, I mean, StockX is amazing, right? StockX is tapping into that resale market. It does real time tracking of prices. If you go into StockX or your son goes on to StockX, what's so innovative about it is you can type in any shoe and it gives you pricing trends and patterns, which gives you the confidence to buy. It really is a a fantastic platform from a UI standpoint. The other really wonderful thing about StockX is I believe it's one of the only unicorns 
um, uh, true tech to unicorns in Detroit, in the great city of Detroit, as they yep. make their comeback. So stock, there's a lot to like about StockX. Yeah, so it's interesting. I'm thinking of actually having them to code because I was fascinated by how he uses it and so many of the other kids, his friends and stuff like that. And it's a really, it, it is, it's sort of like the real, real for teenage I guess not just 100%. boys, but boys and girls. Yeah. And one of the things that's interesting, he was starting to buy uh, sneakers for the baby, which was <laughs> just disgusting with sneakers she would be wearing over the <sighs> next 10 years of her life. And I was like, oh, my God, that's I better fine. get another job. This, this show might better get a TV show or something. Anyway, let's get to the big uh, the, the big stories um, yeah. of the week. There's a ton in California where I am. Yeah. Uh, a yeah. handful of progressive California laws went into effect this week. Um, we're going to talk about them because they're two very big laws because they're essentially the de facto law of the land um, at, at this point. The California Consumer Privacy Act, which I wrote about last week in the New York Times or two weeks ago, went into effect on January 1st. It gets enforced in the middle of uh, July uh, because they're sort of getting it into place, but everyone got all these emails about about their about the online things. If any, if you didn't yeah. get one, you're not online. Um, let me just go through it really quickly. It'll give Californians certain agency over how companies uh, like Facebook and Google use their consumer data. It gives residents the right to learn what their data companies have collected on them. To ask companies not to sell data, uh, which I did with a lot of companies actually, and to request data be deleted. Um, and there's some limitations of the law. You can't tell a business you don't want uh, to sell their data, but there's no way to opt out of having that data collected, which is what I'm looking right. for. It was opt right. opt in actually. The second one is AB five, which is now active in California. It offers gig economy workers a slate of protection, including some benefit, and it requires employers in many industries to classify their workers as employees. Uh, both Postmates and Uber are complaining about it in federal court um, and say it's unconstitutional. Uh, so those are those are two big laws, and they're essentially because Congress can't act the law of the land because everyone has to comply with them. Um, so CCPA, I think it's going to inspire or catalyze better legislation, but the legislation itself kind of rings or is reminiscent of GDPR in the sense that I think it's going to end up taxing or being heavy handed with the wrong people. Because at the end of the day, CCPA is largely motivated or hopefully there to create some redress around one company and that's Facebook. Mm -hmm. And technically, I think, and this is the argument Facebook will make, is that Facebook is already in full compliance because where I think this misses or comes up short is this media agency called Copley had a mm -hmm. pro-life client and was using locational data that they were ga had gathered from a platform, which because they, the platforms could in fact sell that data. And they were targeting people with anti-abortion ads based on location, trying to figure out if women were on their way or near um, a family planning clinic. And you mm -hmm. think about it, this is exactly the kind of thing we're trying to stop, right? Right. But, but if Facebook all of a sudden decided to have a service that essentially Facebook doesn't collect data, if you will. Facebook, or it doesn't sell it, I should say. They collect the mm -hmm. data and then they use it and they sell that service to advertisers, but they don't sell the data or they right. or, or, or their core of their business is not selling data to advertisers. And because of some of the controversy, they haven't done it. But at what point is it? does the legislation mean, well, you can't use my data to sell me or access to me? And that's where the same right, comes exactly. up short. And I worry right. that it's just going to, again, as GDPR is making it more difficult for small media companies, but the larger ones that have the lawyers to kind of navigate around this are just fine. So I, I, I'm, not, I'm not hopeful for this one. I'm hopeful it inspires better legislation, but this one, uh, I'm, not, I'm not a big fan of. What are your views? 
Well, there's a couple. The mi- the the minor stuff I think is great. The anyone under 16, they just can't collect any data. Like they yeah. can't use it yeah. or collect it. And it does sort of shoot, uh, you know, put something across the bow is that this yeah. is the, that there is a privacy act in a major state that matters where these companies are are living where they where they they exist, which is I think what's important. That says this these are sort of the beginnings, the parameters of what we're doing. And I get it comes up short in a lot of ways, but and of course if they don't have opt in, I don't I just don't see any point to any of this. That you have to you have to opt into the data collection, um, so you, that you know what you're doing. And people may just click on it. That's fine, but at least it ha- it forces them into that step. Like I just turned off all my location data on Apple, which of course is still pinging, you know, one of my, my, I'm going to have my kids talk on uh, the Rico Deco show this week. Um, you know, they still collect your location data like crazy. Even Apple is doing that over, we were looking over where I'd been specifically, including with the credit card and everything else. Um, and so I turned all of it off and I have to tell you, it's really interesting using a phone without location data. Um, you have to put in where you, like we went out to Muir Woods to go hiking and I didn't want them to locate me. And so I, you can put in Muir, getting to Muir Woods from my brother's house, but they couldn't. I couldn't track it along the way, so I had to follow it like a map, just like you would follow an old map, because I didn't know where I was on the map. Um, and, you know, there's a thing that says only once. They can track you only once, which I think is very helpful on the Apple, on when you're using an Apple. Um, maybe you can also have it, uh, use it when it's always, uh, only when you're using the app. You can do never. Um, but e- Apple's certainly given you a lot more choices, and I use them pretty actively. Now, I don't think everyone will, but it's a really, it's well done for, it's not confusing using in any way like use it once for I think a movie a movie ticket yes you can use it once but I do think a lot more about location to start with um, and then you know so they don't know where I am they know where where I've asked to go to but they don't quite know where I am which I feel a lot better about even though it's it's somewhat onerous to do it that way um, and secondly I wish the, the, the data that's getting pinged back I'm I'm spending a lot of time being very fully aware of how much data is being dragged into whatever app I'm using or what I'm downloading or um I went through all my apps and got rid of a lot of them because they were sucking all kinds of information I never requested uh, off of them and removed them from my phone. So it's, it's you know, I think I'm radical compared to most people. Um, but I do think the idea that that big legislative bodies, including other states, are doing this means that Congress has to act because you're going to have 50 different privacy acts uh, that's going to be really problematic for businesses. So that's a good thing. The most powerful thing about it is California. Yeah. Whenever California passes legislation, there's a 50 to 70% chance it's going to become the legislation of the land or a lot of states are going to take advantage of a justice in a, a department and a legal infrastructure that is really robust and really large in the state of California. <laughs> the problem with this is that if you look at consumer behavior, like the behavior you were just describing, it just is just straight line strange. Most people don't right. even have the skills Thank to you, begin Scott. having the conversation that you just had. And the majority of younger consumers have decided with with their actions that they're fine with their privacy being violated as long as they get utility in return. And location-based data does provide incredible utility, whether you're on Waze, whether it's recommending a restaurant nearby, direction, all that, all that good stuff. What we want, I think, is to change the law such that if you abuse 
my privacy data or my data that's 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 sensitive that you're subject to lawsuits. I think that's where this needs to head. It's not consumers want their their privacy violated as long as there's utility or a coupon at the end of it. What they don't want is to find out that their data was used to help target and suppress voters after the fact. They don't mm-hmm. so it's it's not even the collection process, it's how these guys are using it. And then there's an interesting question around and this guy named, I think his name is Benedict Evans. He's a partner at mm-hmm. Andrews yes. and Horowitz. And he disagrees with me all the time on Twitter. And I hate him for it because when he disagrees with me, he's almost always right. But mm-hmm. he had an interesting point, And he said that if you're going to go after these people, at which kind of meta level do you go after them? Is it the technology? Is it the app that sits on the top of the technology? Is it the company that's coordinated and organized and distilled the data? Is it the firm that has purchased the data? I mean, there's so many players along the road. Where does kind of the legal liability or the fault, where does it, uh, where does it lie? But again, if you, if you look at this thing, Facebook, it probably gets off scot-free. Most of this legislation yeah. goes after the smaller guys. So what does it have? What, the question is, what has to pass? Like, what has to specifically pass to affect the, the the biggest violator, which would be Facebook? And I think that's something that Congress has to think about. And I, I don't. Th- I'm not sure they have the, the set to do it. You know, um, no. and Chuck Schumer has been a friend of Facebook. I think it's, you know, rather Facebook positive, although Nancy Pelosi has not been. Yeah. Um, so it should be, it, it'd be interesting, depends on what happens, obviously. What would be interesting is if Trump inserts himself here the way he did in the emissions issues um, in uh, with with cars in California, where there's lawsuits, you know, flying right now over those issues, because California has stronger emissions, and some car makers have backed California, others have not, have gone with the Trump administration. So it'll be interesting to see if they insert him, him here, them he's here, and including an AB5, which, uh, which is this, uh, to the protections for... Um, uh, for for it was it was it was a new law that was uh, that was fixing you know freelance work essentially and give them workplace pr- legal protections but it's also affected freelancers obviously Vox yeah. has been impacted and others had to had to lay off some people because of the amount of time you can hire people before they move into employee status and again it's it's important to do this to be able to start talking about this idea of gig economy workers and what and this the protections they deserve but it definitely the paperwork is going to be enormous small businesses are going to be more affected and it'll cause Cause more problems. I just think we have to re- radically rethink how we think of work going forward because everybody's a gig worker at some point, um, or or it's not going to be the same kind of system that we've had in the past. Yeah, it's it's uh, it brings it brings up a host of issues. In two thousand and nine, the Nasdaq was at two thousand, and mm-hmm. federal minimum wage was at seven dollars and twenty five cents. And here we sit in two thousand and twenty, the Nasdaq has breached nine thousand. And federal minimum wage is still seven dollars and twenty-five cents. As a as an economy, if you think of us as a giant company and you think of the president and Congress as the CEO and the executive management team, they have these stakeholders. One, loosely speaking, is uh, shareholders. One is uh, is capital or property owners. Another is companies, and another is workers. And we have decided collectively through the people that we elect to put workers so far behind in the back of the line in terms of their rights. And I'm not talking about information age workers, but just as people talk about there are two Americas, there are two Ubers. The Mm -hmm. 20,000 employees who will split the value of Ford at Uber who have educations went to MIT or are so crazy brilliant they started coding Python in the 11th grade and got sucked up into the ecosystem as young people without college. 
Those people have never had it better, but the 5 million driver partners, the other side of Uber, have never had it worse. The supply and demand dynamic that we would like to think creates or works in capitalism ends up in a society where a third of children are living in households that are food insecure. And remember that software that the media was outraged over a few years ago that automatically clocked out workers at fast food restaurants that, okay, there's not enough people in the restaurant. We're automatically clocking you out such that you're no longer making $7.25 an hour. Go go have a smoke break, go outside, but we're not paying you for the next 17 minutes. And there was outrage over that. Well, imagine that times 2 billion because effectively everyone now has that software in the form of a, of a phone. And when you mm-hmm. think about where, where Uber and DoorDash and the entire, the entire food delivery system is, is that the, the massive dynamics or underpinnings of shareholder value in big tech have been one, innovation, their products are just superior, more power to them, they deserve everything they get. Then two, it moves to obfuscation. Okay, our incredible products gave us monopoly power, so we're going to avoid any sort of regulation. We're going to avoid any sort of antitrust. And then the really sad part is it then moves to exploitation. And that is, I would argue Uber doesn't really have that sophisticated a technology. DoorDash, Postmates, Uber Eats, in my view, have essentially their primary means of value creation is the exploitation of workers at the hands of this automatic clocking in, clocking out software of the phone and the lack of regulation that says, all right, if you're an independent contractor, we don't have to offer you bathroom breaks. We don't have to ensure you're making $7.25 an hour, and a lot of them aren't. But a long-winded way of coming around again to acknowledge your point, and that is there should be probably a middle ground between independent contractors who have no protection and then employee status where the company is forced to provide benefits and immediately raise the cost of that employee well, the, by 30%. The problem with this law is that it it differentiates between workers. I mean, there, there's a bunch of carve-outs for white-collar workers like doctors. Lawyers. Um, and yeah. then, but then, you know, low-paid workers like construction janitorial services, they get legal protections, but then they let in marketers and grant writers, but not journalists. So if you're a freelance, which is, you know, there's so many uh, journalists uh, that do freelance work. And again, as I said, Vox Media, full disclosure, had to cut more than 200 California freelancers. Um, There's transcription services. There's all kinds of people who do that kind of work. And so being an independent contractor is a good thing for a lot of people because they like it, but then they they can't work. And so, or they work only a short amount of time and then can't make make their living, essentially. And so uh, the sophistication of these laws, as you start to get into it, gets rather deep. And of course, it calls for the idea that we should have a national health care initiative. You know, this this idea that everybody should... Healthcare is really at the center of this, and hmm. along with other benefits, but having health care benefits is critically important. And the fact that we don't across this country is just continues to be... You know, we have Obamacare, but it's under it's under attack, um, is the problem. My, my nephew lives in Australia, and he he was and my other one lived in Japan for a long time. We were talking at Christmas, and they were like, "We couldn't believe how much Advil costs here. We can't believe how much." You know what I mean? Like they're yeah. they're sort of like, "God, it's like you're all on your own here," um, compared to the kind of quality care they're getting in the countries they live in, um, which is really, you know, they, there's it was an interesting discussion. But and, and they've come to expect, and I think the problem is our, our people in this country have not come to expect this kind of ability to have these things. And so it, I think I like the. California's passed these things. We got to we got to move on, but that that we'll see where they go, and they're going to be attacked in court by all these companies going forward, both laws. Um, and so the question is, where does it end up on a federal level, and then eventually the Supreme Court? I'm guessing. Like I think this is the kind of thing; these kind of 
changes between employment law and um, and privacy are going to have to end up finally being determined at a very high federal level um, where we all can agree on things. Because I don't think it's going to, either of these laws are going to, this is the beginning of them. And I'm glad California has done this, however however problematic they have created problems. At least we're discussing those problems. Yeah, I think it's Uber so. and DoorDash have already devoted or allocated tens of millions of dollars to propose legislation or a ballot initiative that directly counteracts it. Right. Well, ballot initiatives in California is those who don't live here, they do ballot issues on a wide range of things. And it sometimes yeah. people aren't really paying attention. Like the other, like I was joking, like we picked the paper, paper clips that the San Francisco uses. Like it's a crazy way to legislate. I think most people in California don't like it, although it was meant at the beginning to be, to give power to people. And now it becomes like a circus uh, when you're going to vote. Um, but anyway, we'll see where it goes. I think we're, we're on, I think we're on deck this year, maybe to have privacy legislation in Congress if we can get through this horrible, well, no, I don't think we're going to get through anything until November, um, until it's very clear who's president, who's running the Senate, and who's running the House. Um, And that's going to be, so this year politically is going to be insane, I think, uh, so there won't be much being passed. Um, Anyway, we got to take a quick break now, uh, but we'll be right back after this. Scott, you sound so mellow. I like it. You've got the mellow thoughtful professor thing. I, I envision you in like a sweater vest kind of thing, smoking a pipe, uh, looking out at the snow among the rich people. I really, I think it's a nice mood for you. I like it a lot. That's a good look on me. No, it's mostly me. <laughs> it's mostly me in a dark room who's just yelled at his kids not to come into the room under any circumstances. <laughs> Still recovering from my New Year's Eve hangover. Anyway, when we get back, we're going to do wins and fails and prediction. And everybody, welcome to the new year, 2020. We'll be back after this. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Wow, that guy means business. Just an amazing player. No, not him, the sports photographer behind him. Uh, what? He has a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where he earns 5% annual percentage yield. So he's scoring big on and off the field. You might even say he's the MVB. MVB? The most valuable business. Making your money work harder. That's how you business differently. Intuit QuickBooks. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes are in APY. APY can change at any time. Okay, we're back. Scott, wins and fails. It's early in the year. You know, people really missed us. They didn't like us being away for a week. Oh, good. Um, it's my favorite. Back to how awesome we are. <laughs> Always a topic every week. Let's find a new way to talk about how awesome the jungle cat and the big dog are. I love it. <laughs> they did. People miss yeah. us. We got yeah. on a lot of like lists and people mm-hmm. best of this and that. Um, and people really missed us going away for. They didn't like us being away, not talking to each other. But um, but but we're gonna we're we're gonna uh, as everyone knows we go 
twice a week. We're, we're sort of fitting with the formats um, yeah. as we move forward. Um, but we love any suggestions from everybody about what you think of the two, whether we should, how we should do the second one and whether it should be different, if we should do wins and fails just once a week, if there's enough wins and fails, things like that. But let's go, since you've been away for so long, I would like some wins and fails. A lot did happen over the holiday. It was not a quiet holiday uh, season, even though it was two weeks of, of vacations, essentially, for most people. So your wins and fails, Scott well, Galloway. B- before we get started, you wrote, and yeah. you know how much I don't like reading your material, but occasionally <laughs> I stumble upon it. And I read your article in the New York Times, and the thing that struck me, you made some predictions, was it was very optimistic that you yes. said a few things that you thought climate change could, in fact, um, that t- big tech could play a big role uh, in yep. terms of innovators addressing climate change, and that the first trillionaire would be someone who address that, that privacy. It it struck me that, and I have a few questions on it. It struck me that the article was hopeful and optimistic, which is nice and I cannot relate to, but two, that you think tech, you think tech and what I'll call market-driven and capitalism-driven innovation and the rewards and the spoils uh, are going to play a huge role in solving the problems of their own making. Uh, That's what struck me as you're looking, you sounded like you could almost be, a, a, I don't want to say a lobbyist, but someone who is very pro-tech thinking a lot of these problems of their own making can be solved by them. Well, you know, it's interesting because I, I, the reaction was fascinating. People really liked it when I'm positive. I like it when yeah. I'm negative. And they like it when I'm negative. Well, it's a shocker. They like it when you surprise them. Um, I wasn't being positive so much as let's like, I read all these year-end things and I can't stand right. them or looking back at the decade and they're all the same. They're all exactly right. the same. And they're also short-term. Right? Like, oh, we're going to have like even bigger AirPods on our helmets, AirPod helmets or whatever. I just find them really small minded. I, I know it sounds crazy, but, but I do. And so I thought, why don't I really just say what I would like to happen? Why don't I mm-hmm. just do like visualization, as they say here in California? Why don't I yep. visualize the future uh, I want to have? And so these were some of the issues that I, I, I want to sort of set the tone for writing all year about solutions, which is, you know, what code's going to be about this year. And it's not to say we're going to ignore all the shitty stuff Facebook does because I'm sure they're you know they're they're gearing up and resting to do more shitty things all year um, but uh, but I I do want to think about where I want to set the tone of because I think in a I don't want to say attacking tech over the past year and a half, but I'm saying it, it, it chastising tech for their problems, I think has set in motion. You know, yeah. I started sort of whacking at them back in 2016 on these issues of responsibility. All right, now that we've done that, it's time to like, what are we going to do about it? And so I think getting people right. in that mode, including in the tech industry, is a good one. Because at some point you you have to, it's sort of like Twitter and uh, and and Trump right now. It's like, that's enough. We're done with, and that's that's what I ended the piece on. Like, whatever you think, in 10 years, we do not have to listen to Trump on Twitter, probably. You know what I mean? Like, probably that'll be gone. So that's what I was trying to put in people's brains, is that the internet screaming at you is going to be over at some point and give people a little hope. That was, that was my, what I was trying to do. I like that. And I didn't realize predictions were what we want the world to make about what we want to happen. So my big prediction then for the future is that me, uh, AOC, and Andrew Ross Sorkin, ARS, steal one of those stupid fucking rockets that those little dick billionaires are building. We (laughs) take off, we hit the substrata, they look at me because I'm older and I have that face you distrust, and I say, 
Let's rock. Let's light this candle. Let's head into the sun. We fly together, me, AOC, and Andrew Ross Sorkin, into the center of the fucking sun. Our DNA fuses, and do we die? No, we create new antimatter, and we emerge. We emerge as the vehicle, as the spiritual animal, the singularity that I warrant, that I do. (laughs) I emerge from the sun, fused with AOC and Andrew Ross Sorkin, a golden god, God, and I realize my destiny. Hello, this is an episode God. of Star Trek, in case you're interested. And Into this the is never going to happen. This is not going to happen. I'm sorry, Scott. You're going to burn on, like, getting even slightly close to it, and then you'll all be dead. And by the way, AOC and Andrew Ross would never get in a rocket with you, but that's, that's another issue. That's my posse. She, she's that's running my for posse. president. Did you see all these stories? There were all these, like, she's preparing for presidency. Well, uh, Julian Castro years, has dropped that. Julian Castro is no mas in the race. He dropped out. So AOC could, no, could fill saying. the role. Let's use that as a segue. All right, I'm going to start with a fail. And it kind of goes to why we need uh, AOC or more people of color in the race. I think the Democratic Party has really failed us. And I, as, as we all try to get really excited about these candidates, I would describe mm-hmm. the candidates thus far uh, collectively as meh. I, I don't think the Democrat, I think the Democratic Committee has pivoted, or the Democratic National Committee has pivoted too far to the other side where we let these total whack jobs who should not be taking any oxygen during an incredibly important process on the debate stage. I think that they should have had debates where they said, okay, we believe, we believe that similar to being a heart surgeon or a, 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 you know, a VCR repair person, that there is a skill set and domain expertise and a certain level of respect to people who have actually governed. And um, our experiment around business people or people who have no experience in government has been a disaster. And I would have liked to have seen debates with fewer people such that, as as I told you, I'm in the great state of Montana. I don't know a lot about Steve Bullock, the governor here, but I would have liked to have learned more and had him had a Democratic governor in a in a red state get more oxygen. And he just couldn't even well, get out of the but box. That's, what is that up to? I mean, it's a reaction to what happened with Hillary Clinton, which, which the DNC shut, shut everybody down. It's an overcorrection, so to speak. But I think yeah. they've screwed up. I think the DNC has an obligation I think government matters. And I think actually a lot of politicians do a very good job. I, it's really interesting. I talked about this time last year, I had a tweet saying we might be we might be inaugurating or welcoming Andrew Yang as Secretary of Commerce and Tom Steyer as Secretary of Energy. It's really interesting. The Yang gang is about as passionate as any group online, with the exception of maybe Tesla and occasionally fanboys from Apple in terms of pushback. They were angry that I suggested he might only be Secretary of Commerce. But let me just inspire a million mean tweets. I think mm-hmm. Andrew, you know, Andrew Yang is a fascinating guy with fascinating ideas, a successful business person. I think he's a good person. I think he has absolutely no fucking reason to be president. I think that would be mm-hmm. a disaster. I do think it's important that the guy or gal Uh-oh. shows up with some people who they actually have predetermined relationships, that they understand legislation, that they understand how Senate and the House work together. And people will respond, well, has it worked so far? And I would argue, I think it's worked better than people give it, pro- people give it, um, people give it credit for. But the, the, the people who cut and run here, the Democratic National Committee should command the space they occupy and should have done a better job giving oxygen and giving us a better look at, at people who have spent their lives in government. And Well, that's not did, the Democratic Party, Scott, uh, but that's okay. Like, I think you, Why can't there's no way they were going to avoid this, 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 uh, this Thunderdome this year. There weren't, there were, even if it's a dull because Thunderdome. Of Hillary, they gonna, because of Hillary? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. There was no but couldn't way. They have, couldn't they have had a half a dozen debates, just DNC debates? And quite frankly, they didn't invite Marianne Williamson. I mean, they just don't. 
they just said, okay, we're not going to invite business people who are billionaires. We have, this is, we're the Democratic National Yeah, but then Committee. why do professional politics, I mean, Trump has blown that all to hell. Like, look, he's not qualified right. by any stretch. I he agree. remains unqualified. Shouldn't you we know, learn from that? All he does that? is tweet from Mar-a-Lago, the Southern White House. Agree. Um, for forever, which is just a grifter palace, as far as I can tell. Um, but uh, yeah. where they're just like, writing them checks, I'm assuming. They'll just bring checks like it's a mafia wedding. Um, but, uh, but it's, uh, you know, I just, I don't know. I think this is the process. This is the process we have, especially with the Democrats, and that's the way it's going to go. And then we'll come, yeah. you know, we'll zero out on somebody. And, you know, it looks like it's moving into the regulars. Like, it's not like they didn't get there. And that's I, a good I think point. they're they're better that's for it. Um, yeah. I think the win, Scott, I'm good. that's a fail for you. You got to explain your the Tesla situation. I think people were coming at you because Tesla's at an all-time high. Um, yep. so Elon won the case. Uh, I, I don't know if it's a win. I want It's a win for shareholders, for sure. So your, your so, win is an opportunity to embarrass me? Is that what yes, you're exactly. I want you to explain it. I was sitting there like, how yeah. is he going to explain this? He's going to yeah. avoid it or whatever, but you can't avoid it. So yeah. what do you think about this run-up in Tesla stock? That's really what I want to know, what you think so, about it. So just to be clear, so I So the said, Yang people now hate you. Let's have the Tesla people come after you. You know what? If you're going to have enemies, have powerful enemies. Um, so. Yeah. Uh, I said earlier in the year at South by Southwest, one of my big predictions um, is that uh, this was the year Tesla was going to come undone. Yes, and crash, the moment, full crash yeah, into a wall. It was trading at 300 bucks a share. The moment we said that, the stock went to 220, not but because of us, but just because. And I thought, wow, I'm actually pretty good at this predictions thing. And now mm -hmm. it's at an all-time high. And there's just no getting around it. Um, you know, I was wrong. Tesla has, I thought all the, uh, the incredible exodus of senior management was going to come back to haunt them. I still believe that greatness is achieved in the agency of others. Uh, and I'm kind of, I don't want to say I'm doubling down. I'm almost a little bit tired of fighting people on Tesla and the heat I take. I own a Tesla. I think it's a great car. I think it's a great, um, uh, brand. My viewpoint, though, is that it, at the end of the day, it's a company that bends steel and will begin at some point trading at a valuation that is the most valuable on any multiple or any reasonable metric auto company in the world, which puts it somewhere at like 80 to 120 bucks a share. So All right. look, like the company, congratulations to them. I was wrong. Still think the company is wildly but overvalued. Why did it go up? Why do you think it went up? That's what I want to understand. I mean, it may be a fake go up. I, I think that you're 100% right about the, this valuation is crazy. But why did it go up? What, what was the what was the intervening factor that it keeps doing this? I mean, I see a lot. Let me tell you, being back here in California for a while, all you see is Teslas everywhere. So, yeah, like it, yeah, Now I live everywhere. in San Francisco, but I'm, I was all over the Bay Area, and you see all levels of them uh, everywhere being driven by people, which is interesting. Well, there's, there's just no getting around it. The company is tremendously innovative. It doesn't. It, it takes enormous risks. It, it's, I forget the new model uh, that they launched last year, the more affordable model, but that seems to be getting traction. The pickup truck inspired this kind of this Tesla-like wondery that people have come to expect. They're not afraid to do things incredibly different, especially their China production is coming yeah, online. And now they're yeah. producing a thousand cars a day. So they've hit, they're starting to do something that they've never done before. And that is actually hit targets. They're, they're mm -hmm. famous for not hitting them. So look, the company is firing. I would say it's firing on all cylinders if it wasn't an electric car, but it's conducting on all uh, lithium iodine or whatever the r appropriate analogy is. The company's executing. Congratulations to them. I'm glad the 
the bulls won. I don't have a position in the stock, but yeah, yeah I, I yeah, don't. but it's interesting. Well, Elon we'll see. seems a little bit more reinvigorated. I mean, at one point he was tweeting from the China factory, and then he was somehow it's a SpaceX facility. It was like, what do you cloned yourself? Like, what's yeah. you know? It's interesting. He's quite you know. I think he's probably emboldened by uh, winning the uh, winning the case and sort of getting himself in line. And so, uh, you know, he's got a lot of energy. That guy, I'll tell you that. Whether well, you it's think huge, he's, it's. It's huge vindication for him because, you know, the stock's up above where he said he was going to take the company private when he committed blatant right. market manipulation and proved that the SEC held, still lacks sack and is not mm-hmm. there to protect investors, but protect management. Anyway, uh, but it is, there's just no getting around it. Tesla's on fire. I was, I, I couldn't have been more wrong on that one. All right. Another thing I wanted to ask you about, I missed you so much. I want your opinions on everything was this Bumble blocking Sharon Stone thing, which was kind of a great, it was peak 2019. <laughs> but what did she do? What did she do? <laughs> She I was on know. Bumble looking for a date and yeah. they kicked her off because they said she wasn't Sharon Stone when indeed she was Sharon Stone. Um, and then they, of course, responded and said, oh, Sharon, come back. We're thrilled to have you. Date away. And then there were very, some very, my friend Hillary Rosen was like, forget Bumble. I'd be happy to date you. Um, so it was, uh, it was, it was very funny. When I heard about Sharon being on Bumble, I decided to update my profile because the pro- my dating profile just says oh one thing. God. It's a super into magic. And that wasn't working <laughs> for me. So I changed it to, I decided I needed to be a little bit more aggressive, a little bit more brute, a little bit more, you know, dog. And I'm yeah. like, an alpha male will not take uh-huh. shit from waiters, will protect We'll protect your standing everywhere we go. We'll impregnate you, leave, then come back and eat the child. Alpha oh male. Oh, my God. You that wasn't are. working. That you wasn't like... working. I'm out of bit right now. Don't interrupt me. Oh, so I went oh. back to the thing to attract the lovelies, and I wrote, yeah. super judgmental, re-exotic vacations, but pretty easy going on everything else. Oh, my. Speaking of exotic, which you're on right now. Oh, my God. Scott, please stay huh? off of Bumble. Huh? No, no one's going to pick you on Bumble. Oh. Women have the, the, have the agency on Bumble, and you will never get selected Release on Bumble. the hound in 2020. No way. No way. Oh please stay gosh. off all online dating services. Come I'm going to warn people. I'm going to have the I, – I, I know all the owners of these businesses. I'm going to have them put a warning label on anything that you do on dating one in five men, One in five marriages, and I think like three and four hookups are now online. I think online dating is a wonderful thing. I have a friend who's who, who, who looks like he might be separating, and I'm like, dude, I'm gonna. I'm, I'm, I got so excited when I heard about this, not because of the pain and frustration and tragedy that is separation. <laughs> God, but not that, not that. I I made him promise me three months ago that if he ended up getting separated, I would get to write his dating profiles. I'm gonna have so much fun because this guy right. is like me, but more handsome and more successful. Oh, we're gonna have so much fun. I'm gonna He's be never gonna date again, in other words. All right, listen, we gotta finish up with predictions. You have made no several wins. No, weird no, predictions. Wins. I have a win. A, a win. win. What's your win? What's your win? Uh, okay, so my win, This I love this story. Uh, my win right. is Ava Gordon. And Ava yeah. just passed away at the age of 105. And wow. uh, she was a secretary or her husband, Ed, was a stockbroker. They lived very frugally. And nobody had any idea about their wealth. And although she had never attended college, she left $10 million, her $10 million state, to community and technical colleges in Western Washington State uh, when she died uh, this past June. Uh, Renton College put out a release saying, at Renton Technical College, Gordon's gift will be used to confer scholarships and grants upon students with financial and other barriers to attendance. The funds will help pay for tuition and other education-related expenses, as well as as for financial emergencies, Renton said in a statement. Her and her husband 
used to teach classes. He taught on business because he was a stockbroker. She did warm-up exercises for inmates at a correctional institute. And there's just so Mm -hmm. much, there's so many lessons to be taken from this. I have this cottage industry of coaching um, young men. And what I find is that they, they aspire to be, have a big win and make just a shit ton of money and then consume. And there's just so much dignity in doing what the Gordons did and li- living below your means and then um, investing early. This shows the power of compound interest. One mm-hmm. big part of the story was that she would take 30 or $40 of her salary, her secretary salary every week and buy stocks and utilities. And then ultimately she bought stock in Nordstrom and then she bought stock in Microsoft that she loved the markets, but was always investing from a mm-hmm. very early age. And then they ended up with $15 million in wealth, which they all left to nonprofits, mostly in education. But just this sort of philanthropy, this sort of dignity of living below your means, the uh, investing in education, which I still believe is the, is the upward lubricant of prosperity in our society. So my win is Ava Gordon, this woman who never, nice. never, never achieved anything more than a secretary. So but she's doing exactly opposite of what you're doing right now, being in Montana much, with the building. Pretty much. <laughs> pretty helping. much. Excuse me, I have to go out and get a $45 Poke Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> no. You need to I like that you're you're I like that you're aspirational to to live a life that you're never gonna live. I really like that about you. Karen, you do really, as I say, not as I do. Do as I say. I, all right. So let's finish up with predictions. See, here's, here's predictions the thing, Kara. You've made a couple of them insane ones today. Here's, um, here's, would be, here's the like, thing. What is well, your aspiration for the next decade? What is your aspiration? Mine is I had a one I've had a wonderful time with my family. I'm very excited about my family this in the next decade. Uh, I have That's wonderful children, and I'm very pleased with the situation around them. And my lovely, uh, I call her my Beyonce. I'm very excited to get married and everything else. So I am excited about family over the next 10 years. What about you? So my parents are Italian and German, which means I'm uh, uh, kind of, I know I'm fucked up, but too lazy to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a joke, Kara. Uh, I got it. I got it. I wasn't like, so, <laughs> but you, uh, we're talking about personal aspirations, like New Year's yeah, resolutions. No, whatever, whatever. What, what's your, what's your prediction for you the know next what? decade? I want to be a quarter of the man I pretend to be in all media and shows. I'm sick. I'm just like, I do constant fucking virtue signaling and I wake up and go like, gee, I wish I was the person I think I am. So I'm <laughs> trying to connect. I want to connect what I know to be the right ways to be a good person and be a right dad and a right a good, a good partner. I want to be like, it's like, it's one thing to identify what is the right behavior and to talk about it and to put blog posts up about it. It's another thing to be that person. So my my goal is for those two two moons to line up at some point. Nice. Okay, now about te- mound business. I had predicted at the end of my column this week that you finally read, which was a great moment in our relationship going forward for the next decade, um, that carrying around a device in our hand and staring at it will be a thing of the past by 2030. I don't think we will be having these phones. I don't think we'll be, I think there'll be another device It'll be in the, around the eyes, I think, probably. Um, so that was my prediction. That this is by the end of the day that we're not going to. Ha- this is not going to be our relationship. Our primary technical relationship that we have. Well, will it so be? that is my prediction. What will it be? What will we? How will we be interfacing with our digital eyes world? Up. Then something eyes, eyes up, up in the ear, in the ear, eyes up. That will be talking to it. They're like a lot of huh. you know. I think I take a lot of cues from movies and stuff like that. And I think a lot of the stuff that are in movies, they 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 don't have a lot of holding of things. They have a lot of things in their ears and eyes and things like that. So I think that's we're going to have some sort of device around our head and the ear area or embedded in some way that is that is how we communicate. So that's what I think. Hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't. So wearables, I'll be very curious. 
And you think it goes to some sort of thing like Apple when Apple comes out with some sort yeah. of glass thing. Yes. That's where it moves. Yeah. That'll be interesting. Interesting. Yeah. What about um, you? We're going to finish up on that, Scott. What's your big prediction for tech and media over the next? What should we be watching out for as we move, pivot into our new, our new decade? Well, you know, other than on a broader basis, revolution is coming. And then with the Southern Hemisphere realize the fastest way to double their wealth is to take the money of seven families, which ultimately they will figure out a way to do. Other than the re- impending revolution, Kara, mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. terms of tech, I think I think the thing that creates the most shareholder value, if you will, in that first trillionaire you're talking about is what, I'll, for lack of a better term, distributed healthcare. I think just as retail began, began taxing people by taking them to these empty parking lots and forcing them to go up escalators and then find a salesperson and then check out and then navigate your way back to the car. I think that the the concentration of healthcare in these facilities, which are unfriendly, very non-consumer welcoming, very inefficient, very time expensive, that we're going to distribute healthcare through these devices. Most people think it's going to be the Apple Watch. I think it's going to be Alexa. And we're going to find that uh, the reason Amazon is becoming HIPAA compliant is they're about to start offering yeah. medical services and medical insurance at a lower price. I think it's going to be tremendously innovative. I think it's going to be uh, create enormous shareholder value. I think Jeff Bezos is going to be the first trillionaire on the back of Amazon's move into healthcare. Amazon will be the first $2 trillion company uh, once they start announcing basic health, uh, health insurance and kind of basic uh, medical services. So I think this is the decade where we go after the most disruptable industry in the world, uh, which is healthcare. I think this is yeah, a year of health health tech. Health tech health is the way tech. I would summarize it. All right. It. I like it. I thought climate tech, but I think you're right. I think that's I think you're hundred percent right. I think you're hundred percent right at Amazon. I think Amazon's gonna be bigger than ever, um, unless the government gets in his way or Trump does. But I think he's Staggering. gonna roll right over Trump. I think <laughs> you know what I mean? In oh, that yeah. fight, I'm like, mm, sorry, Trump. Jeff Bezos is gonna take you no, down on that. That's Conan. That. That's Conan O'Gregor and Floyd Mayweather. Bet bet on the guy with the fast hands who's actually in that sport. Uh, yeah, yep. Bezos. That's that's for the second time the guy with the red hair gets the shit kicked out of him. Yes, indeed. All right, Scott. This has been very exciting. I want you to get back to the slopes and whatever you rich people do on the holidays. Uh, I am going to uh, work today. <laughs> I'm going to actually work today. Um, nobody's working, which is a really nice time to work. Um, and I'm going to be doing some podcasts and things like that. But I'm excited to be back in 2020 with you on Tuesday on a regular thing and a bunch of live events right. and everything else. And as That's I said, right. when at the end of last year, which which is that I'm very looking forward to working with you over the next year. I'm that's very view. nice. Thank you. Very, thank you. For I know, you don't know what to I do. Feel, <laughs> I, feel the, I feel the same about you. Well done. All let's, right. let's make this anyway, a great decade, Kara. This 100%. is our decade. This is it's, ours. Uh, and let's be let's be offensive along the way as much as we can. Offensive um, yet empathetic. I know that's a, that's a given. Yeah. Yes. Okay, no. Good. Let's let's be offensive too. I think people like our, our offensiveness. Meanwhile, if you have questions about a story you're hearing in the news for us to answer next week, send us questions at pivot at voxmedia.com. Today's show was produced by Rebecca Sinanis. Eric Anderson is Pivot's executive producer. Thanks also to Rebecca Castro and Drew Burrows. Make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. If you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or, frankly, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like this show, please recommend it to a friend. Thanks for listening to Pivot from Vox Media. We'll be back next week for another breakdown of all things tech and business. <laughs>